are listening to Lighthearted, the official podcast of the United States Lighthouse Society. My name is Jeremy Dontremont. Welcome. My co-host today is Michelle Jewell Shaw, teacher, mom, photographer, and award-winning volunteer for Friends of Portsmouth Arbor Lighthouses. Hi, Michelle. Hi, Jeremy, and hello to all of our listeners out there. Today is December 24th, 2023, and this is episode 257 of Lighthearted. In a few minutes, we'll hear about a unique aid to navigation in Casco Bay in Maine, the Little Mark Island Monument. Before we get to that, Merry Christmas, Michelle. Merry Christmas, Jeremy, and I would like to say a special Merry Christmas to all of our faithful listeners out there as well. Absolutely. Uh, I wish all the best to you and your family and, of course, your pets. Yes, uh, all of our pets. Yeah. For me, it's, it's going to be pretty quiet, but it's always a, a very special time of year. So uh, has anything interesting happened on this date in Lighthouse history, Michelle? Yes, it did, Jeremy. On December 24, 1902, Desdemona Sands Lighthouse near the mouth of the Columbia River in Oregon was lighted for the first time. The lighthouse was built on the shoals that stretched southeast from the mouth of the river for about nine miles. It was a white octagonal building on a platform supported by piles. There were no living quarters at the lighthouse, so the keepers lived ashore in the Astoria area. The Desdemona Sands Lighthouse was demolished and replaced by a modern light in 1945. The fourth order Fresnel lens from Desdemona Sands is on display at the Muckleteo Lighthouse in Washington. You know, it's worth uh, Googling Desdemona Sands Lighthouse, and that's D-E-S-D-E-M-O-N-A. Uh, but it's, it's uh, fun to Google it and see some of those old photos. It was really an unusual structure. So, Michelle, please help me introduce today's discussion. Sure, Jeremy. Little Mark Island, about one acre in size, is in Maine's Casco Bay near the town of Harpswell. On the island is a 50-foot tall stone pyramidal tower that was built in 1827. It's known as the Little Mark Island Monument. It wasn't built as a lighthouse. It was originally intended to serve as a day beacon to aid local navigation. There weren't many lighthouses in the area at the time, so the visual marker served an important purpose for mariners during the day. Inside the tower is an open chamber, and it's believed that the chamber served as a refuge for shipwreck victims who might reach the island. In 1927, a navigational light was added to the top of the tower, but the light has been discontinued in recent years. The structure was added to the National Register of Historic Places in 2016. This past May, it was announced that Little Mark Island would be available at no cost to a new steward through the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act. The National Park Service will review all applications. If no eligible steward is selected, the property will be sold through an online auction. This fall, the select board of the town of Harpswell voted to approve a partnership with the Presumpscot Foundation to submit an application for Little Mark Island. The Presumpscot Foundation was founded by the entrepreneur and, and preservationist Ford Reiki, who has restored several historic properties, including Halfway Rock Lighthouse in Casco Bay. Along with Ford Reiki, today's discussion includes Bob Trapani, Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation and a lighthouse technician. So let's listen to our conversation about Little Mark Island now. I'm speaking today with my friend Ford Reiki, who I've known for several years, uh, who is the owner of Halfway Rock Lighthouse, although our, our main subject for today is going to be something a little different. 
And also taking a uh, part in the discussion today is my good friend, Bob Trapani Jr., Executive Director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, an aficionado of all things aids to navigation. So Ford and Bob, it's great to have you uh, both on the podcast. Thank you. Great. Um, yeah, um, it's great to see you uh, both, Jeremy and Bob. On uh, We go back to... Uh... 2014 or so when I first got involved with the halfway, my foundation, rather, Prasamskat Foundation, first got involved with Halfway Rock here in Casco Bay. And it's great to be with both of you today, uh, two people who really know and love lighthouses. So, And hey, it's navigation, Jeremy, like you said. Let's have some fun with this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And Bob, just an, an, an aside here, you and I um, visited Halfway Rock Lighthouse before Ford bought it, and that must have been, was it 2013, possibly? Yeah. It was 2013. Yeah. So it's hard to believe that's 10 years ago. We went out with the Coast Guard. It was an inspection visit when it was going through the GSA process. But it was a thrill to be on there, both before and after restoration. But again, uh, our main top, we have covered uh, Halfway Rock before on the podcast. Ford, you were on a couple of years One ago. One of the early ones. Yeah. And we'll revisit it again, I'm sure. Uh, in fact, we're going to be doing a Zoom event coming up in January for the U.S. Lighthouse Society, uh, all about Halfway Rock. But for today, our main topic is the Little Mark Island Monument, as it's generally referred to. Uh, and we'll talk uh, more about that in a minute. But um, maybe just say a little bit more about Halfway Rock right now. Anything exciting going on currently or that's happened very recently, Ford? I am pl um, I'm pleased to say there's nothing exciting going on. We are The, the restoration has been complete for... A for a matter of years. Uh, we've been through no hurricanes, but some, some significant storms, uh, everything. Well, we, we restored it to have minimum moving parts and for it, for it to be in good shape long-term. And that is, it feels like the path that we're on. Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad to hear there's no issues currently. And uh, just again, I'll just say it's one of the most amazing, incredible. It's not a strong enough word. Uh, you know, it's uh I was just so excited to be out there uh, to see what what you've done, which is, uh, I'd say, a miracle. Thank <laughs> Definitely. you. Definitely. Yeah. So we'll be talking uh, more. Yeah. No, Jeremy. He's, uh, Ford, you're absolutely right. I was I was part of a team that helped service that light back in August, and just amazed at how everything's holding up great out there. So. Oh, you were there in August. Yes. yes. Oh, great. Yeah. yeah. I, I I saw that some folks were out there. Terrific. Yeah. Just to clarify for people listening, Bob, you're. A, in addition to being executive director of the American Lighthouse Foundation, you're a lighthouse technician in the Coast Guard Auxiliary, correct? Correct, and yes. As we've talked about, certainly on the podcast, any regular listeners are very familiar with uh, the work you do. Uh, so, uh, Ford, you've restored some other properties besides Halfway Rock Lighthouse. Can you just say a little bit about those? Yes, I, I've... Uh... It really, it's never been my job, but it seems like my whole life I've had one restoration project or another underway, partly partly to make a buck on in a few occasions when my wife and I were younger and um, most often just out of passion. Uh, we've owned and completely restored four buildings that are on the National Register. Halfway Rock is one of them. I just did it because I cared about it. And then it turned out that I was in fact in historic preservation, but I didn't seek that out. <laughs> well, I know uh, it's probably the same as with lighthouses. I know lighthouses will creep into your your consciousness and kind of take over. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure that's true of historic preservation in general. So let's talk about Little Mark Island. Uh, Ford, what made you decide to apply for ownership of Little Mark Island and its day beacon that we're going to be talking about? There's a process by which the federal government deaccessions uh, lighthouses. It is unique to lighthouses. If they, if they are 
departing company with one of their Air Force bases or a helicopter or something like that typically just goes to the highest bidder. But under the uh, National Historic Lighthouse Pre Preservation Act, they have to the federal government is required by law to offer it on a competitive basis to not to to nonprofits. Uh, they have to be deemed qualified and, and worthy stewards. And then it's on a competitive basis among those nonprofits. So uh, halfway rock, I missed that stage, even though we have a foundation, I missed that stage, didn't know about the process back then. And that halfway rock changed hands through the highest bidder um, period. Um, th this process is uh, the first, the, 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 we're in the nonprofit stage now for the, for little Mark Island. And it caught my attention, Jeremy, because it's only three and a half miles from Halfway Rock. I've been around it my whole life, just like I've been around Halfway Rock. Um, there's a historical nexus between the two uh, in, in as much as the, the staff, the light keepers from Halfway Rock had responsibility for a couple other nearby aids to navigation and Little Mark Island was one of them. So it has an interesting history too that we'll get to in a few minutes, but I am interested in, in becoming the steward of it. And we actually filed a joint application just today. The deadline is in two days. Just filed our application today. It's a joint application that we did with uh, Town of Harpswell. Mm -hmm. Congratulations on submitting the application. I know from personal experience, that's a, a big hurdle to to get over. <laughs> it's a lot of work to do to do one of those well. It's a lot of work. Absolutely. Yeah. So you just mentioned you've partnered with the town of Harpswell on the application. Uh, how did that partnership come about? Um, the federal government encourages partnerships because they just see it on projects like this, because they see it as a way to pool more resources for just the long-term success of their asset. Right after this, it was made known that this was going to be made available by the federal government. The town of Harpswell uh, was on the front page of the local papers with the head select person saying that they wanted to own it. I reached out to them pretty early in the process and said, you know, I'm one of the approved bidders, as are you. There looks like there are five or six approved nonprofit bidders. Uh, and I, I really don't want to compete with you. Uh, if you're interested, I'll step aside. And they said, no, no, let's, let's collaborate on this. And they, in fact, the greatest concern is to make sure that the, the, the that this, be, ends up in appropriate hands. There were some. There might be some users who would would not necessarily take care of it long term. So they wanted to see they got in appropriate hands. So I have an agreement with them that that um, the Presumpska Foundation will do all the work, do all the compliance, uh, spend all the money, uh, but the town of Harpswell will have an opportunity to review and pre-approve anything we ever do out there, and the federal government reserves the same right. So I think this is a good partnership we have with them. Sounds like it. So uh, do you know if there's been any other applicants for Little Mark Island? Well, as you know, from the prior experience that both of you have with this, the, the government um, convenes after they pre-approve applicants, they convene uh, a meeting of all of them to explain the process and to actually take them uh, to the lighthouse that's being disposed of. So uh, there are at that meeting, there were three or four other applicants, uh, whether they are still involved, we won't know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about the structure, which I think is pretty unique. There are other uh, old day beacons, as they're usually called, around New England, maybe in other parts of the country. But I think the oldest ones are definitely in New England. Uh, but Little Mark Island doesn't look like anything else exactly that I'm, I'm aware of. It does have a light, but it was built not as a lighthouse. It was built as a day beacon. 
Uh, but again, it does have a navigational light on it that is serviced by the Coast Guard. Uh, so this is, you know, I, there's always an argument about what constitutes an official lighthouse. And I tend to stay out of those arguments. But I'm just curious, would either of you say it's a lighthouse or, or is it not a lighthouse? Well, if we're going to stay true, it's not a lighthouse. But unlike modern day beacons of today, which are tend to be monopoles, spindles, or even skeletal structures, these structures were built at a time when our country didn't have as much money to spend in lighthouses. And these were considered you know, important works nonetheless. So uh, I would classify them somewhere important, just under a lighthouse historically, because they're much more they're much more historic and important to us than what we would consider the modern day beacon. I mean, these are these are impressive structures. Well said, Ford. Anything? Any comment? Um, on the in the uh, impressive structures department, I'll second that. This this was built, although it although it was believed uh, that this was built originally in 1828. Um, Earl Shuttleworth, who's one of our advisors on this project, and I have were on the phone yesterday and confirmed that it actually was in service in 1827. So whether it's 1827 or 1828, building a stone monument 55 feet tall, two or three feet thick uh, on that island was a major undertaking uh, in the time. Uh, I'll concede that it's probably not a lighthouse. Uh, it, and I'd love to speak also a little bit about, about its potential status as a mariner's refuge. I'll get to that in a second. But it, 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 although it may not be a conventional lighthouse, as you note, Jeremy, um, these towers are around. There was one built like it actually about five or 10, about 10 years earlier um, in Cape Elizabeth, where the Cape Elizabeth lights now are. It was taken down uh, when those were built, I think in 1827 or 28, they would take it was taken down. There's another one which is earlier, but I don't believe it's necessarily a Mariner's Refuge, and that's the smaller tower on Stage Island at uh, in Saco Bay. These were all these were all around. So now I'll come around to the U the U.S. Light Saving Service Heritage Association. Uh, not only is this not a lighthouse, it is not a life saving station. Uh, they don't. They do not acknowledge anything prior to 1871, when the life saving service started. I believe you'd know better than I. Or 1848, when the Massachusetts Humane Society started these on a more formal basis with so many wood structures around Cape Cod. But I don't know of any other early, early stone structures like this. Mm -hmm. um, well, you mentioned Stage Island off Bitterford Pool. Uh, Bob and I are quite familiar with that. It's similar, but ra conical rather than square pyramidal or pyramidal. Uh, never sure how you're supposed to pronounce that. It is four-sided, right. Little Mark That's Island. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's round. Uh, halfway Rock is, I mean, I'm sorry, Little Mark Island is four-sided, yes. Yes, yeah. As you were talking about it, how amazing the building of it was, I was thinking, uh, you know, people think of the pyramids in Egypt and in some in Mexico, this is Maine's pyramid. Yeah, that's <laughs> in right. A sense, sort of. Um, so you just uh, brought up the the idea of it being a a, a refuge, uh, a space inside it being perhaps designed that way, or or use at least used that way for shipwrecked mariners to take refuge in it. Have you found much about that on your research? Only anecdotally, and I, I would, we've not talked about this before, so I'd be interested in your thoughts as well. 
these these types of structures were logically built with a door anyway uh because they weren't solid it's built like a chimney you get in the base of this is a 12 is a 12 foot square room in the base of this mm -hmm. on the anecdotal history is that it is that it was kept stocked with fire you know kindling firewood um matches or some way to light a fire and water william hutchinson Rowe wrote that it was that that was the case and that in, in that um admiral perry robert e perry over on eagle, next eagle, next door on eagle island was one of the volunteers who would keep it stocked in that fashion i, I hope to find um in some of the early uh, newspaper reports which i've not researched yet some reference to the fact that it's more than just a column but so far all i've seen is just referred to as a stone column mm -hmm. any thoughts on your parts not beyond what you just said. I mean, it's not something I've done particular research on, but what you, it makes logical sense that it was that they might have put supplies there at least for a while. Of course, we don't know if there's any cases where it was actually used uh, in that way. This went up amid a fair amount of public pressure. That may be the history of all lighthouses. You know, the, the, there's a problem, then there's a local petition, and then it gets built. But there was there was really there were really specific concerns about Eastern Casco Bay. You get down around Jewel Island, Halfway Rock, Little Mark Island, anything toward the Harpswell into Casco Bay, it is very bony. And there were there were ships refusing to go into the grist mill and the sawmills at that end of Casco Bay because it was the the, the navigation was so treacherous, and so some of the lumberyards and the sawmills and so forth had to take their they wears all the way from Harpswell to um, Commercial Street in Portland to get to load ships. And so this was built uh, in response to that. I think uh, I think both sides of this uh, coin, so to speak, are actually true. Um, there is no indication when it was built that the government ever intended to use it as a sort of house of refuge. Um, but at the same time, I do believe in the anecdotal aspects of this, whereas the government was not going to formally go on record as saying we're we're going to use this as a house of refuge. We're going to supply it. I do believe the latitude was given to the locals to do just that. So I think it is one of the things that the, this aid being most important to the people who work those nearby harbors. And of course, for, for ships that were coming in that maybe couldn't make Portland Harbor in a, in a bad weather, they could seek refuge in one of the nearby protected areas, anchorages. But I do believe that uh, anecdotally, that some of those stories are very possibly true because local people would have made it so. Right. It makes me think of uh, Boone Island off the southern main coast, uh, which is like eight miles offshore. There was never uh, until later when the lighthouse was built there and keepers houses, there were no structures there. But early on, they say that barrels of provisions were left out there for for mariners, shipwreck mariners, because they had better number of shipwrecks there. And of course, on Cape Cod, the Mass Humane Society built huts of refuge before the U.S. Lifesaving Service. I believe those are all gone, right, Jeremy? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But there is a, a history of uh, sort of uh, unofficial efforts to, you know, to provide refuge for for shipwrecked mariners. A uh, question for you: uh, You mentioned Boone Island, and Boone Island's first aid was a was a day beacon, one that had collapsed and rebuilt. Uh, have you ever seen any drawings or anything that would indicate what it was shaped like? Did it? possibly look like a mark island of course it would have been built maybe 25 years earlier but yeah that's a good question it was uh, 1799 was the yeah. first one there and then uh, as you said i believe it was rebuilt uh, once before there was a, a lighthouse 
And I think it was the second time they're building it, uh, actually a uh, boat capsized. There were deaths uh, involved, people building it, the guys building it. But as far as what it looked like, either the first or, or second version of that, I don't know. And that's awfully early. You know, we don't have a lot of illustrations from for things like that in that era. No photography back then. Oh, you're right, Jeremy. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Glad you corrected me on that. It was Stage Island that collapsed, Boone Island. It was the boat incident. So Ford, let me let me ask you, have you been on the island, Little Mark Yes. Island? Yes. Yeah. So as part of, you know, to be, to be a, to be a, a competent applicant, I felt like I ought to know the island and the structure very well. So I've been out there a couple of times recently. I've been around in my whole life, but like halfway rock, it's not a very hospitable place to get ashore, but I've been out there, took a bunch of photos, measurements of the structure and also the natural conditions out there, because this isn't just the responsibility for this island is not just with respect to the aid to, the aid to navigation. It's also the natural conditions out there. And this is an, a nationally significant seabird nesting island. So we've, we're, we're going to inventory the conditions out there and then monitor those over the long term with, in, in collaboration with the main Audubon. Mm. So I've been out there and uh, I, I know it pretty well at this point. It's not that much to know. Yeah. There's a ladder going up the side of the monument, right? Yeah, it would be, uh, it's on the south side. That that has been there for, well, they put the light on top uh, 100 years after they built it. So the light went on it in 1828. And I think the ladder must have gone up about that time. The original light was uh, fired by acetylene, acetylene gas. Have you climbed the ladder to the top? Not to the top, no. Bob, have you been on the island? No, no, this is one that I have not. I mean, I know that the ladder was cut off about eight feet above up above the ground to keep people from climbing it. Um, the actual day beacon status itself is since 2022 has Coast Guard has been advertising it as to de-establish it as a disestablish it, I should say, as a uh, aid to navigation. And then it was like the uh, September of 2015, the Coast Guard first started to advertise uh, disestablishing the light atop of it. And it was supposed to be disestablished as of April 19th of 2017, in and around that time period. So it first lost its light as an aid to navigation. And now the Coast Guard is basically just disestablishing the monument as an aid altogether. What did they do in 2022? They started to, the Coast Guard started advertising the fact that they were uh, disestablishing the uh, Little Mark Island, along with others like Shag Rock, Drunkard's List, as a... Uh, day beacons as aids navigation so they would no longer officially be responsible for it right but is the light still functioning on the tower or not no no it's not okay no. I, I was under the impression it was no i think it's been out of service since 2016 or 17 has 17 it yeah it was 2017 yeah uh any thoughts for it about bringing it back as an, a private aid to navigation the light um i had yeah the, the secondary to putting a webcam out there i thought it would be both from a natural uh, from a natural conditions point of view and a weather point of view it would be interesting to have a web, have a webcam there i mean uh, 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 but there's no solar there's no power there's no solar there's no wi-fi um and so without that infrastructure i don't think i'll put a webcam and absent that i don't think i'd put up a private aton how has that light been powered in recent years? Is there a, a cable going out to the island? I don't. I don't have any indication there was ever a cable. Um, there, as I said, it was a settling, 
And the next, the only other thing I know is two, two generations, oh, and batteries, but the batteries um, you would presume would have been um, only during the solar, the solar um, period. And, and there were two different solar, um, solar arrays out there, both small. But mm -hmm. Bob, you might know, or one of you might, either of you might know, would they have ever had a light, a battery powered light that would draw so little that they could just run it off batteries without uh, recharging? You mean, did they ever have that or could they have that? There is a battery box out there that appears to date back to, um, I bet it dates back to the 40s or 50s, a big a big metal battery box. Hmm. I don't know what would have powered those batteries because that predates solar. Yes. Yeah. Solar really became a big deal in the late 70s. Uh, hmm. No, I have no, I have no answer. I mean, I know the first optic was a 200 millimeter lens. You're right. It was acetylene. Um, the last optic was a 155 millimeter beacon and it just had Delco batteries uh, with its solar. So yeah. I'm curious if you know for, did the keepers at halfway rock tend the light on little Mark Island or who they did. Mm -hmm. They, I, I don't know for what period, but I know for a fact that they did for at least one point in time. And they also had responsibility for the, the buoy at Webster Rock, which is adjacent to Halfway Rock, and also the the uh, spindle at Drunkers Ledge, which mm -hmm. is which is east of Halfway Rock. Yeah, not that uncommon a thing. Lighthouse keepers in many places had additional aids to navigation to to tend along with the the lighthouses. I think a lot of people don't don't realize that. So, Ford, you talked already about the uh, the process of the the National Historic Lighthouse Preservation Act. And as you said, you got halfway rock light through government auction, but now you're applying as a nonprofit for uh, ownership of, of Little Mark Island. Do you want to say anything more about uh, the difference in the, well, obviously there's a huge difference in the process, but how, how long you've been working on that application? Probably yeah, I'd be happy months, to, I'd be happy to tell you about it in case, in case others go through this process, I'd be happy to provide you a little information now um, so that people, people know what they're getting into. The nonprofit aspect, which is the phase we're in right now, it's not going to the highest bidder. Um, I've been working on it. It's been a great deal of work. Uh, the, the application I submitted uh, earlier today, our final application was over 200 pages. And it was, it was uh, not stuff we were cutting and pasting. It was material we put together. Um, we had references from over a dozen distinguished organizations, including the two that you gentlemen represent, but also... Um, National Audubon, Maine Island Trails Association, Maine Coast Heritage Trust, um, some historic preservation organizations. So they were supporting our our request to become the steward of this. Uh, we, there are four parts to the application. There's a preservation and maintenance plan. There's a use plan. There's a financial plan. And then there's a management plan. And I, if it's okay with you, I'll tell you a little bit about what we submitted for each. Sure. So for the president preservation and maintenance plan, I took detailed photos of the conditions out there and shared them with some experts. Uh, one was a historic paint expert and the other was uh, Jim Leslie, who you may know from, he's a Mason who has serviced uh, 26 different lighthouses on the main coast and he's been outside of Maine as well. This would be his 27th lighthouse. Um, we shared conditions with them, uh, made our own observations. And so in our application, we've already submitted a detailed conditions report and a restoration budget. We have pre-funded the account to complete all these restorations. And again, I think we, I think our, I hope our application is determined to be a very thorough one. Under the use plan, 
uh, we've put together uh, the ways that this would benefit the public because this is important to the federal government. It's not they're not you know if it's going to go to a nonprofit, they want to see that it gets that it gets uh, some public benefits. So we have spelled out how uh, how the public would use, and that is in quotes. This we've we've our website will show how to access it safely, but it really is almost impossible to access it. Uh, but we are going to have interpretive signs on the mainland at the tip of Bailey Island and on the island. We've submitted full detailed mock-ups of those signs ready to build. Um, we've submitted a complete website of the history, the ecology, access of uh, Little Mark Island. The full website is all built out and ready to launch. Again, just to show them that we've done our homework and that's under the use plan and financial plan. We have to show that there is, there is a plan and then a contingency plan for the long-term financial maintenance of, of, uh, you know, compliance with our obligations out there for maintenance. And then there's a management plan that that shows what happens if there's bad governance in the Prasemska foundation or in the town of Harpswell and, and so forth. So that that's all spelled out as well. And the way it works is the government immediately after the filing deadline, they look to make sure the applications are complete. Then they start a months, months long process of reviewing them. Of those four sections that I described, you can get up to 25 points on each section for 100 points total on the overall application. And if you don't have 16 points or better on every section, you're rejected. And then they, I think, I think then you move into a kind of a second stage of the selection process where there's a lot of back and forth between the government and the finalists. Yeah. Well, Bob and I know from experience, we uh, dealt with the application for Whaleback Lighthouse in Kittery, Maine. The whole process took a year, give or take a little bit. Uh, and we did go back and forth quite a bit in the latter part of that that process. And it is a committee in the National Park Service, just to make it clear, it's, a, it's the National Park Service that, that chooses the uh, the new stewards. And then if they don't get a suitable application, the, the properties are auctioned. Right. It does sound like the um, sounds like the National Park Service also engages the Coast Guard and the um, the State Historic Preservation Officer for the state of Maine. How difficult is it to actually get on the island? You must need pretty calm calm seas. There's no landing place of any kind other than rocks, right? None. You know, at halfway rock, there are some there are some dicey spots, but you you can under lots half the time or two thirds of the time when I go out there, I can get ashore. Um, this is more difficult. It it is bold for the entire perimeter. There's one little point of cleavage between two two ledges, and so what we did the first time, first two times we went out, we couldn't get ashore. The uh, third time, we took the the coast the old coast guard boat that we used to get to halfway rock. We anchored it. Uh, we kayaked in, and it was flat calm, but there still was a sea surge. And the way we got ashore is we we waited for a swell to to lift us up onto a ledge on the on the island. And is when the wave when that swell uh, w- went back out to sea and left us high and dry in the rocks, we just scrambled out uh, and dragged the kayaks up. <laughs> wow! Uh, any thoughts? To is there any way you might be able to improve the the access, the landing access no. there? No. No. All we can do, and it's, this is this is. You know, halfway rock has got a 180 foot long dock. Uh, you can't do anything like this. This is more exposed, and there are just fewer options. You know, we could put a mooring out there. I, I suspect we'll put a mooring out there, but you could not do anything else. How big is the island, by the way? 
Uh, it's like half. It really matters whether it's high tide or high, low tide. Yeah. Um, it's uh, it's a it's uh, six hundred feet long, and uh, maybe two hundred feet wide. Uh, so yeah, I, th- I think they they say that it's an acre and a half. Elevation yeah. of the island is forty feet before you get to the tower. Is the ground level enough so, if, in theory, a helicopter could land there? Yes, yes, easily. Yeah. Because it's a seabird, this is a significant oh, um, nest site yeah. for seabirds, so you wouldn't do it in May, June, or July. Right, that makes sense. Since you brought that up again, uh, what is nesting there? Uh, probably gulls, but terns, anything else? Uh, exactly. This, this, uh, this used to be a significant site for terns, and... I learned a little bit in the research in, in dealing with some experts on this particular project. Um, there, there used to be um, high high population numbers for ter- for terns. There are five five species of terns in the state of Maine, and those have declined dramatically because of the increase of herring gulls. And herring gulls that population exploded uh, in the uh, 20th century when we when communities had outdoor burning dumps. Mm-hmm. Uh, herring gulls, exp- that population exploded and they breed a month before the turns. So they will take all the spots uh, to the exclusion of the turns. So the way it is difficult on an island like this, and they've done this in a few, a few islands in the coast of Maine, experts will go in and basically eradicate the cormorants, eiders, and herring gulls to, to allow room for the turns to come in. And they use turn decoys and, uh, and recordings of the sounds. Yeah, there's uh, I know there's similar efforts going on in a few places, but uh, blackback gulls you don't have any of those there. Yeah, a few. Yeah, yeah. They're they're no more popular than the herring gulls. Yeah, I'm sure you probably know that back in the day, um, Bob, you might remember the the dates better than I'm I'm remembering. I'm thinking maybe early 1900s, maybe into 1920s. The lighthouse keepers were expected were asked to count the nests and eggs on these islands of nesting birds for the Audubon Society. Uh, I know that was part of their job for a while. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that started like around the 1900, 1904 time period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And certainly in Maine, it was a, an important part of their job. So for the, the, the monument, Little Mark Island monument, uh, historically was painted white with black vertical stripes. It sort of still is but could use a new coat of paint. Are you planning to, to paint it? Um, so that's an historic preservation decision that is not made, but there, there are two ways to, to approach something like this. One would be to put new paint on there. Uh, and the other would be to preserve it as found. And I think that is the latter would be more appropriate. And I think is the more likely path we'll take. I have learned uh, from some articles we found from 1827 that uh, those stripes were always there, uh, but the top, the very top of the tower used to be all black all the way around. Interesting. Uh, so it's a pretty it's a pretty basic structure, but uh, what kind of condition is, is it in? Is there any, are there any masonry problems? Well, you mentioned- yeah, mm-hmm. um, We're guessing that uh, the, the estimate I have from Jim Leslie for the masonry work is for for $60,000, about half of that would be to repair some cracks. Very high, very, very high in the tower. Um, some seeds got into cracks, and of course now there's some woody some woody bushes growing out of those cracks on two sides. So they've got to be removed and 
the cracks filled. But considering I can't, and we can't see that there's ever been a major, any major restoration. That thing's been standing there for, for almost 200 years. And it's pretty, it's pretty sound. It's very thick. Yeah. Well, it's a testament to its builders, certainly. Yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, to all appearances, it looks to be in good shape. Yes. Uh, yeah. I'm interested to know, I'm really digging in on the history uh, of, of this being a potential Mariner's Refuge. Uh, I'll be excited if I can find that it's articulated anywhere in any of the early documentation, because I'm not sure if there are any earlier Mariner's Refuges it left in the country. The one at Stage Island, I don't believe, although it has a door, I, it, it just it's, it's, I don't believe that it was, could have been built as a Mariner's Refuge based on the, its location. Oh, I was I was just going to say, I mean, I, I want to uh, really uh, congratulate you on coming forward to take on this project. Um, it's in the state of Maine. It is it is a one of a kind structure. Uh, there's only a couple of these historic day beacons left. They're all distinctive. But this is this is a very unique structure. It was built to save lives. And um, but I think a lot of people would overlook it today. And yet when you look out from the areas on land where you can take a view of this from a distance, you do look at, and if nobody knows what it is, I mean, the first question is, is what is that? And there's such an opportunity, a story to be told, not only about what its purpose was, but what it means to the local area as well. And, and the stories associated with that, that may not be directly, but indirectly. So um, a day beacon is not as quote, sexy as a lighthouse, but I am just super happy to see you come forward because I love AIDS navigation, as Jeremy knows. And this is this is a historic one that deserves a, a friend, and that friend has been found in you. Well, thank you very much. We hope it has. Federal government will decide that, but I appreciate your support always. Mm -hmm. uh, it's the confidence in me. I think between the between the partnership with you guys have, I I, I I'm going to keep my fingers crossed. <laughs> okay, thank you, Ford. Before we wind things up for today. And I do want to talk to you again on the podcast for sure. And uh, again, uh, people should watch for for news on the Zoom event we're doing in January about your uh, restoration of Halfway Rock Lighthouse. I was looking at your website, the Presumpscott uh, Foundation website, and I saw that you have a new book out. I think it's new. Correct me it, if I, I'm wrong. No, it's new as of uh, it's new as of last week. I'm being uh, interviewed by radio stations and TV stations this week and next. That's pretty new. And yep. it's called uh, A Long, Long Time Ago, Major Rock and Roll Concerts in Southern Maine, 1955 to 1977. Yeah. I, I was pleasantly surprised to read read about that. So <laughs> tell, tell me a little bit more about it. Uh, a Long, Long Time Ago is the first line from the, the song American Pie. And I got, got consent from Don McLean to use that. Uh, the... I grew up in in the Portland area in the in the 60s and there were some great rock and roll concerts and I've come to realize that Portland or southern Maine which would be Old Orchard Beach, Biddeford, Lewiston and Portland got way more than their share of major rock and roll concerts. Jimi Hendrix played Lewiston. Um and you know the third time the Beach Boys ever played on the East Coast of America was in Old Orchard Beach. And it's because we um we had um, this, the main turnpike connected these three these three biggest cities in Maine. Old Orchard and Biddeford are actually bigger than Bangor in the summertime because of the population. So in the 1950s and 60s, we had this big population that would show up for concerts. They'd, they'd, they'd put four or 5,000 people together for a concert. And so they had big names going through 
on Maine almost every weekend in the summer and then a lot in the winter as well. So I just put together, no one had a record of those concerts. And I put together this book too. It's the same size as the Halfway Rock book, 200 pages, 600 images, all Maine images of the events and the posters and stuff. Mm-hmm. I got obsessed. So turned into a book and people seem to like it. <laughs> that's, that's great. I, you know, I'm, uh, I, I do, uh, I am interested in other things besides lighthouses. I love, I love rock music and. Uh, oh, you do. Let me see. Let me, give me, uh, email me your address and I'll get it <laughs> off to you. I would love to get a copy of it. Great. Thank you. Great. Thank you. You mentioned your halfway rock book. Uh, how can people, well, it's an excellent book, by the way, very thoroughly researched as far as a book about a single lighthouse. It's as good as they as there are out there. Uh, how can people get your, your book on Halfway Rock Lighthouse and or your new book on uh, rock concerts in Southern Maine? The, the new book on rock concerts, all that the proceeds from that uh, 100% goes to Maine Historical Society. Um, both books are available at halfwayrock.com, which might be an easy spot for this crowd that we're dealing with, but certainly also at local bookstores and on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Excellent. And... Uh, I recommend the Halfway Rock book very highly, and without seeing it yet, I recommend the a long, long time ago. And just one more thing about that, kind of uh, coincidentally here, Don McLean lived in Camden, Maine for quite a while, right, Bob? And you live in Camden, Maine, mm-hmm. so there's, I don't know if you had to cross paths with him at all while he was living there. No. No, I know he's, I know he's moved elsewhere. He's so let me. He's in California now, yeah. So Ford, let me ask you a, a final question here for for bonus points. Uh, we, uh, again, we've talked about halfway rock lighthouse on the podcast before, and I think our listeners, you know, our listeners are lighthouse lovers. So they understand why lighthouses need to be preserved. There's no question about that. And halfway rock is an incredible lighthouse, but why does an oddball kind of structure, very interesting, but you know, not a lighthouse kind of, uh, you know, off the beaten path geographically and a unique structure, but why does it need to be preserved? I think the um, thankfully the the public at large has developed a great appreciate greater appreciation for lighthouses, the historic significance of them, uh, particularly identifiable with the state of Maine. And this is a this is an icon in, in Casco Bay and along the coast of Maine. It would be it's got to be preserved. I mean, it, it's, it would be unthinkable for it, for it to be otherwise. Thankfully, the responsibilities of ownership are not going to be overwhelming. And Bob, I want to direct the same question at you, but also you might maybe have something you want to say to Ford about his uh, his work on behalf of Little Mark Island. Well, I think the preservation of Little Mark Island, the monument there, is something that I think moving into the future, people are not going to understand just at what great lengths um, our government and our people went to safeguard uh, those at sea under any flag, at any race. It did not matter. It was about saving lives. I mean, we look at today, everything is uh, GPS and all this electronic navigation and everything's so precise. Uh, just to build something like this, you know, Ford was talking about there's no place to land. Imagine them having to bring up all that granite and to to build something like that, again, for the sake of helping people find their way home, find their way along the coast, find their way to safe harbor. Uh, I, I think it's a testament to a time that we will not see again. We will not see these kinds of structures ever built again. Totally important to save them. And then, uh, you know, with uh, with Ford's rock concerts and, of course, what he's done at Halfway Rock, that music by the sea, I'd say you have a lot of good rhythm for preservation there. Ford, way to go. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's all history that needs to be preserved. Yeah, it is. In yeah. one way or another. Yeah. Well, beautifully said by both of you. 
and Ford Reiki and Bob Trapani. So thank you so much for, for doing this uh, podcast episode with me. Uh, and I totally uh, concur with everything you guys said about preserving this structure because it is it is unique. It is representative of some. There were some other structure, at least a couple of others we we know about that were similar, but there's nothing else uh, surviving that looks uh, like Little Mark Island. And it is an, it was an important aid to navigation, certainly. So thank you again, and good luck forward with uh, the future with Little Mark Island and with Halfway Rock. And we'll be we'll be talking soon. I'll keep you posted. Thank you both. The Little Mark Island Monument is about a mile and a half from the nearest point on land, which is Land's End on Bailey Island. It can be viewed from sightseeing cruises offered by Rocky Coast Cruises of Harpswell, Maine. See rockycoastcruises.com for more information. It can also be seen from cruises with Casco Bay Adventures in Portland, See cascobayadventures.com. I'm glad we were able to do an episode about Little Mark Island. Uh, it has some interesting history and is certainly a very familiar uh, sea mark to anyone who's boated around Casco Bay. Next week's episode, Bob Trapani and I will discuss some of the other notable day beacons in New England. Before we wind it up for today, I'd like to let people know about a lighthouse event that's coming up on Sunday, New Year's Eve, next week. Right, Jeremy. Piney Point Lighthouse in Maryland is holding an event called the Kids Countdown to Noon on Sunday, December 31st from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. Participating kids will enjoy themed crafts and activities, a sock skate, snacks, beverages, and much more, including a colorful ice ball drop at noon. Sock skate. I'm intrigued by that. I'd like to see that. They probably just like skate around on the ice in their socks. That sounds cold. <laughs> but, yeah, it does. But maybe like fun. Yeah. Uh, so I also want to mention that we will be doing a special live Zoom event with today's guest, uh, Ford Reiki, on Saturday, January 20th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Ford will be doing a presentation on his restoration of Halfway Rock Lighthouse in Casco Bay in Maine, one of the best restorations of any lighthouse in the country. The event is free, but you have to register in advance. Just go to uslhs.org and look under What's New. Also, be sure to check out uslhs.org to learn more about everything the U.S. Lighthouse Society offers, including the quarterly journal, the research catalog, preservation grants, and more. Remember that donations and memberships support this podcast and all the preservation and education projects of this society. Before we end this episode, I wanted to speak for a minute about some sad news. I learned yesterday that my friend Simon Ponsart Roberts has passed away. I knew Simon for around 25 years. She was the daughter of a keeper of lighthouses in southeastern Massachusetts from the 1930s to the 1950s, and Simon grew up at lighthouses. She and I collaborated on the book that told her life story, Everyday Heroes, The True Story of a Lighthouse Family. I feel very grateful I was able to play a role in getting that book published. I know some of our listeners have read the book, and many of them have corresponded with Simon. She was always happy to make new friends and to chat with people. She lived in Louisiana, and uh, I'm in New Hampshire, so we only met actually three times, but I, I felt like I knew her well. We corresponded often by email and by phone, and she was one of the few people, one of the last few people I, I've known who still like to write letters. So I just wanted to say that Simon was a very special woman and a good friend, and I'll miss her. So, Michelle, do you have a quote for the Christmas season? I sure do, Jeremy. And this is an anonymous quote. The way you spend Christmas is far more important than how much you spend. 
I would agree with that. And one more thing, Michelle, I want to thank you for co-hosting more than 100 episodes over the past four years. You know, I don't know if our listeners are aware that you and Cindy Johnson and all the other co-hosts of this podcast do this as volunteers. I can't tell you how much I appreciate it, especially when I know you're so busy with your teaching job and everything else. So thank you very much, Michelle. You're welcome. It is my pleasure. I love doing this every week and reaching new people so that they can learn about all of the different lighthouses. Well, thank you. It's a, it is a good cause. I agree with that. But, uh, you know, again, I appreciate so much the, t- the time and effort you put into this. With that, uh, Merry Christmas. And as always, to all our regular listeners and our new ones, thanks so much for listening and keep a good light. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine